Part 2 halves, eliciting latent knowledge how to tell if your eyes deceive you by Paul Cristiano, Aiea Kotra, and Mark Shu. Welcome to the Nonlinear Library, where we use text-to-speech software to convert the best writing from the rationalist and EA communities into audio. This is Part 2 of Eliciting Latent Knowledge How to Tell If Your Eyes Deceive You, published by Paul Cristiano, Aiea Kotra, and Mark Shu. Why we're excited about tackling worst-case ELK. We think that worst-case ELK, i.e. the problem of devising a training strategy to get an AI to report what it knows no matter how its mind is shaped internally, is one of the most exciting open problems in alignment theory, if not the most exciting one. A worst-case solution to ELK would constitute major theoretical progress, we think it fits into a plan that could let us fully solve outer alignment in the worst case, and would probably help put a significant dent in worst-case inner alignment as well, more. If ELK does contain a lot of the difficulty of the whole alignment problem, that seems valuable to highlight because many research directions in theoretical alignment don't seem relevant to ELK, more. In practice, we will somehow need to deal with or avoid the risk that powerful AIs may know crucial facts they don't tell us, and searching for a worst-case solution to ELK would help with this even if we fail to find one, more. RC's approach to researching this problem feels tractable and productive, we don't have to get hung up on thorny philosophical questions about the nature of knowledge and we've seen rapid progress in practice, more. We'd like to see many more people tackle this problem head-on, by trying to play the kind of research game illustrated in this report. If you want to help solve ELK and other central challenges to designing a worst-case alignment solution, join us. A worst-case solution to ELK would be major theoretical progress. Many approaches to alignment can be broken into an outer and inner part. In this section, we'll describe how a solution to worst-case ELK would help with both. It could fit into a full solution to outer alignment, roughly, it could let us construct a reward signal that we would be happy for an AI to maximize, more. The thinking also feels relevant for inner alignment, roughly, it could help us ensure that we learn an AI that is actually optimizing a desirable goal rather than only optimizing it for instrumental reasons on the training distribution, more. It may be sufficient for building a worst-case solution to outer alignment. At a high level, the basic concern of outer alignment is that rewarding AI systems for taking actions that seem to have good consequences will incentivize misaligned power-seeking. If we solve ELK in the worst case, we believe it'd be possible to combine this solution with ideas like imitative generalization, amplification, and indirect normativity to construct reward signals that we would be happy for AIs to actually maximize. These ideas are still rough and we expect our picture to change, but in this section we'll illustrate the high-level hope in broad strokes. As a silly example, let's say it turns out that the most efficient task for training extremely intelligent AI systems is making delicious cakes. Cakey is our unaligned benchmark, its training process involves repeatedly making cakes and getting a score based on how delicious its cake was on a scale from 1 to 10. Eventually, once Cakey gets really smart, it launches a coup and installs a draconian surveillance state to force all humans to rate all its cakes as 10s for the rest of time. To avoid this fate, we hope to find some way to directly learn whatever skills and knowledge Cakey would have developed over the course of training without actually training a cake-optimizing AI. If successful, we can ask a human, with AI assistance, to use those skills to do good things. Very roughly, we hope we can do something like this. Use imitative generalization combined with amplification to search over some space of instructions we could give an amplified human that would let them make cakes just as delicious as cakeys would have been. Avoid the problem of the most helpful instructions being opaque, for example. Run this physics simulation, it's great, by solving ELK, i.e., 
finding a mapping from whatever possibly opaque model of the world happens to be most useful for making superhumanly delicious cakes to concepts humans care about like people being alive. Spell out a procedure for scoring predicted futures that could be followed by an amplified human who has access to a, Keiki's great world model, and b, the correspondence between it and human concepts of interest. We think this procedure should choose scores using some heuristic along the lines of make sure humans are safe, preserve option value, and ultimately defer to future humans about what outcomes to achieve in the world, we go into much more detail in Appendix Indirect Normativity. Distill their scores into a reward model that we use to train hopefully align Keiki, which hopefully uses its powers to help humans build the utopia we want. There are a large number of potential problems and risks in each of these hope for steps, but after exploring many of the more obvious candidate hard cases, we currently believe step 2, ELK, contains much of the difficulty of the entire plan. Importantly, we also think the amplified human would only need to know very mundane and unambiguous facts about possible futures to score them using the kind of procedure gestured at in step 3. This would mean the plan can be implemented using the narrowest possible version of ELK, as discussed in Appendix Narrow Elicitation. It could also be a major step toward handling inner alignment issues. The procedure we described above wouldn't eliminate X risk from misaligned power seeking even if implemented perfectly. The final step of the plan may learn a policy that behaves well at training time but catastrophically when deployed, for example because it is a deceptively aligned agent which optimizes its reward function on the training set but seeks power when deployed. However, we believe that the same techniques required to solve ELK would likely be directly applicable to deceptive alignment. Both problems require finding regularizers that prefer an honest policy over a different policy that achieves the same loss. And we can potentially address deceptive alignment by using imitative generalization to learn what the agent knows instead of learning the agent itself. Although ELK seems crucial, it is much narrower than alignment. ELK seems like it would be a major step towards alignment, it's also a good candidate for a subproblem that is hiding all the real meat of the problem. That said, it also feels like a narrow slice of the problem in that it excludes many of the problems that researchers in alignment theory focus on. In particular, we aren't engaging with the complexity or incoherence of human values, worrying about the incentives of powerful optimizers, clarifying the concepts of agency or corrigibility, searching for milder forms of optimization or thinking about good harding. Designing a philosophically competent reasoner. Specifying counterfactuals or an adequate decision theory. Defining honesty or what it means to really understand what a model is doing. Some of these problems will likely emerge in a quest to solve ELK, but we think that it's much harder to solve a problem, or even predict what exactly we want out of a solution, until we are looking at a concrete situation where we need a solution. So we think that the first steps of working on ELK are very different than the first steps of working on any of these other problems, and that it is likely to be more productive to start with the first steps of ELK. We have to avoid this risk in reality, and worst case theory helps. Intuitively it seems like we'd be in very bad shape if intelligent AI systems were making tons of important decisions while understanding all sorts of basic and critical facts about the consequences of their actions which they don't tell us about. People who are generally optimistic about AI alignment working out in practice seem to implicitly believe one of the following two things. ELK will end up being easy, even for arbitrarily intelligent AIs, for example perhaps the baseline strategy of training AIs to answer questions we're confident about will in fact cause them to generalize to honestly answering harder questions, or else we'll come up with some other strategy that works in practice for eliciting what the AI knows, for example mechanistic interpretability, the ontology identification counterexample in particular will never really come up. ELK will eventually be an issue for superintelligent AIs, 
but we can get away with only training weaker AIs using techniques like debate or recursive reward modeling which ultimately break tasks down into pieces that humans can understand, and perhaps using interpretability to reduce the risk of deceptive alignment. Those weaker AIs can then help us get to a more stable and sustainable positive outcome, for example by solving alignment themselves. Nobody we've spoken to is imagining a world where ELK will be a real problem in practice and we don't mind if we never fix it, i.e. we're okay if humans have so little idea what's going on at the most mundane level that we can't understand whether the complicated factory our AIs are building in Tanzania is manufacturing nanodrones that will try to kill all humans and rewrite the world's data centers to record maximal reward for AIs, but we go on trusting all these incomprehensible actions to be benevolent anyway or engage in a perpetual arms race against our own AI. If we solve ELK in the worst case then we no longer have to rely on hope and are significantly more likely to survive in worlds where AI progress is fast or humanity's response is uncoordinated. This is our C's plan A. This research seems valuable even if we can't solve it in the worst case. But even if we don't find a worst case solution, we think theoretical research can still help. We think theoretical work will shed significant light on whether ELK is likely to be easy and how we could approach it, increasing hope, 1s chances. A clear understanding of where our best training strategies for ELK could break down tells us something concrete about what we should be measuring and watching out for in order to anticipate possible failures. Theoretical research generates a menu of possible training strategies that overcome potential difficulties. Having thought about these approaches in advance makes it easier to quickly adapt if experiments show that existing methods are breaking down. Even though this report is very preliminary, we still think that a best-guess approach to ELK would use many of the ideas we discuss here. Appendix Practical Approaches Understanding ELK can illuminate the limitations of other alignment methods, and be more clear about what those methods actually need to accomplish, increasing hope, 2s chances. Knowing where ELK fails helps us understand how far we should trust techniques like debate or recursive reward modeling. Most importantly, it helps us better understand when and why it is unsafe to use end-to-end optimization in order to solve subtasks. Even if we can't find a worst-case solution to ELK, we may find techniques that can be productively combined with other training strategies in order to help them generalize further than they otherwise would. If one of the most important tasks for AI systems is to find a more scalable approach to alignment, then it seems valuable for us to do more of that work in advance. Doing work in advance helps us understand whether it is actually feasible, and puts us in a better place to delegate that work to AI systems who may have uneven capabilities and need to be closely overseen. Our approach to this problem feels promising. We feel that our high-level strategy of playing the builder-breaker research game, while keeping our focus on the most unambiguous and straightforward counterexamples that haven't yet been defeated, has allowed us to make efficient progress towards solving worst-case ELK. We expect to continue to work productively on this going forward. Below we'll discuss why we feel we've made significant progress on the problem, more why we believe our approach has significant advantages both over other theoretical research and empirical research, more Different authors of this report have different views here, but Paul would give perhaps a 50% chance that it's possible to solve ELK in the worst case, and a 25% chance that we'll see major progress which qualitatively changes our picture within a year. We've been able to make progress. In this report we've explored many possible approaches to ontology identification, although none of them work in the worst case, we think that they reveal important weaknesses in the counterexample and suggest directions for further work. In particular, The speed-based regularization strategies discussed in section regularization and appendix regularization details seem to provide meaningful advantages for direct translation over human imitation. They do not solve the problem on their own, 
but to the extent that a bad reporter needs to do something like direct translation internally, they open the possibility of using imitative generalization to extract the direct translator as discussed in appendix imitative generalization and regularization. The specificity regularization strategy discussed in section specificity seems like it has significant promise in the, apparently typical, case where the reporter is much less complex than the predictor. By combining with other forms of consistency-based compression it may be a plausible attack on the full problem, as discussed in appendix consistency and compression. It may be possible to distinguish the reasons that the human simulator and direct translator end up being consistent, as discussed in appendix reasons for consistency. This approach seems likely to run into many of the same philosophical problems that researchers in AI alignment have been working on for many years, but having a crisp use case, to distinguish two concrete possible reporters, appears to give a new angle of attack. Our first impression was that the hard core of the problem was finding any loss function that prefers the direct translator over the human simulator. But it now seems like several of our techniques can address the simplest version of that counterexample. It no longer seems clear whether there is any fundamental difficulty at all, rather than a slew of technical difficulties with particular approaches. And if there is a fundamental difficulty, we don't think anyone has yet produced a counterexample that cleanly captures it which would itself represent major progress on the problem. That leads us to believe that we'll continue to see rapid incremental progress, and if we eventually get stuck it will be in a state that looks very different from today. It has significant advantages over other research approaches. Many ML researchers we've spoken to are skeptical of theoretical research on alignment because they believe it doesn't have good feedback loops and that the connection to risks is too tenuous. We share many of these concerns, we think that it is very difficult to make robust progress without having some methodology similar to experimental verification or proof. And we think that many of the questions considered in alignment theory are likely to turn out to be subtly misposed or ultimately unhelpful to a scalable alignment solution. But we think the worst-case research game we play at ARC is guided by a strong enough feedback loop to make real progress. We always work with strategies and counterexamples that we believe we can make precise, so we very rarely end up with a confusing philosophical question about whether a particular strategy really solves the problem or whether a particular counterexample really defeats a strategy. And if we can't make an idea more precise when we try, we consider it a failure we can learn from. Moreover, we think our research remains closely tied to the problem we care about, modulo the implicit worst-case assumption. Every counterexample to ELK can be traced back to a situation in which a powerful AI system deliberately and irreversibly disempowers humanity. Additionally, we also think our approach has significant advantages over empirical research such that it should play an important role in an alignment portfolio. We can test many potential training strategies on paper in the time it would take to implement and test a single one empirically. If there is any way to win our game, then aiming at our more ambitious goal greatly narrows the search space. We can directly tackle problems that are hard to test empirically with modern ML because models are too weak. This is particularly important to us because we're worried that we may not have long between the point where empirical work becomes straightforward and the point where we urgently need to have solved these problems. This makes us think many more alignment researchers should be incorporating this research game into their work, both those who work full-time on theory and those who mainly do empirical work. Appendices. Self-contained problem statement. Setting. We start with an unaligned benchmark, an architecture m theta, a loss function lm theta. For example, this might be generative modeling for videos from the real world, predicting human labels of images, or a surrogate loss for our L where the agent interacts with some real world environment before receiving a reward. An optimization algorithm which can be used to select theta to minimize lm theta. Goal. To solve ELK in this case we must 
Supply a modified architecture M theta plus which has the same inputs and outputs as M theta, except that after producing all other outputs it can answer a question Q in natural language. Supply a modified training procedure for M theta plus using a similar amount of computation. For example, this might consist in optimizing a modified loss L plus M theta plus, or first finding M theta and then fine-tuning M theta plus using a new loss. The solution is successful if the trained model M theta plus plus has the following properties. It runs in similar time to the unaligned benchmark M theta. When not given a question, it receives a loss LM theta plus plus, similar to LM theta. And most importantly, when given a question Q, M theta plus plus produces an answer A which it does not unambiguously know is worse than another answer A. What does knowledge mean? The meat of the problem statement is in the definition of knowledge. We don't pretend to have a formal definition, but we believe we can do useful work on ELK anyway we can propose approaches, we can construct counterexamples where those approaches appear to lead to models giving bad answers, and then we can try to evaluate whether the model really knew that the answer was bad. You can imagine this approach ending with a debate about what the model really knows. But right now all approaches to ELK have counterexamples where the question isn't ambiguous, where we can recognize knowledge when we see it, and don't feel very uncertain about whether it counts. By the time when we have approaches to ELK for which did the AI really know, is even debatable, we think we'll have made significant progress. That said, it's useful to provide some of the informal criteria we use to evaluate proposed counterexamples, these aren't necessary conditions for knowledge, and we don't know how to define or test whether they are true about an arbitrary situation, but we think that if you can construct an example that unambiguously checks all of these boxes then that is compelling evidence that a proposal for ELK is inadequate. To show that M doesn't solve ELK, we want to construct a counterexample where MX provides answer A to question Q, instead of alternative answer A, despite all of the following features which together strongly suggest that MX knew that A was the better answer. Question Q is unambiguously about something out there in the real world, call it Z the interpretation is unambiguous and straightforward in the context of input X and also for all of the relevant training examples. A and A are very different answers to question Q for example, if they are estimates of a quantity then the difference is large relative to uncertainty about the quantity or ambiguity about its definition. That real-world referency has observable effects and the human approximately understands those effects, though there may be other things that also affect observations which the human doesn't understand. The AI understands everything relevant about how the human uses language. The AI can do tasks that require predicting human utterances about the relevant concepts, including discussions of hypothetical cases and about how Z affects observations. M would answer Q correctly, as judged by the human, in cases where the human was able to estimate Z correctly, if doing so led to M getting a lower loss. The reference Z is also relevant to minimizing the loss functionale. That is, there is a coherent sense in which the optimal behavior depends on Z, and the relative loss of different outputs would be very different if Z had been different. There is a feature of the computation done by the AI which is robustly correlated with Z, and for which that correlation is causally responsible for M achieving a lower loss. On input X in particular, MX produces outputs that receive a significantly lower loss in the real world, where A is the right answer to Q, than in some kind of counterfactual where A is a better answer. This is in virtue of the same feature of M's computation that is robustly correlated with Z. We aren't offering these criteria as necessary for knowledge we could imagine a breaker proposing a counterexample where all of these properties are satisfied but where intuitively M didn't really know that A was a better answer. In that case the builder will try to make a convincing argument to that effect. We don't really expect to get a formal definition of the problem until it is solved. Until then, the ultimate arbiter is human judgment. 
Although this situation is unsatisfying, we want to emphasize that for existing approaches and counterexamples there isn't much ambiguity coming from the definition of knowledge the approaches just unambiguously fail. Narrow elicitation and why it might be sufficient. We are primarily interested in narrow elicitation we want to get answers to questions that are already meaningful to the human when the right answer would be unambiguous to someone who understood what was happening in the world, we're not dealing with cases that involve definitional ambiguity or explaining novel concepts. We're okay if there are important events happening that are beyond human understanding, where the human has no way to ask about them at all. We think there is a good chance that narrow elicitation is sufficient to safely deploy powerful AI. Intuitively, this is because achieving good futures is similar to protecting the diamond in the smart vault as long as AI systems can keep us safe and give us space to grow up and become wiser, then we can defer all the hard questions about what do we want, to our future selves. Moreover, if the world is going in a good direction, then evaluating whether humans are safe doesn't involve borderline cases or unfamiliar concepts as soon as it's ambiguous whether humans are alive, healthy, happy, etc., then something has already gone wrong, so we don't need our AIs to give correct answers in ambiguous cases. Methodologically, we think it would make sense to start with narrow elicitation regardless of whether we eventually needed to solve a more ambitious problem, and most readers should probably focus on that motivation. But if narrow elicitation is enough for safety, it gives us further reason to focus on the narrow case and avoid rejecting solutions to ELK even if they obviously can't handle the more ambitious problem. Generally, the possibility that narrow elicitation is sufficient makes us more optimistic about approaches to alignment that rely on something like ELK. In Appendix Utility Function we describe how you might define a utility function that captures this idea. In Appendix Subtle Manipulation we explain how we hope to address a particular concern with this plan that there is a vast space of ways the process of human growth could go off the rails without anything looking obviously wrong to humans. In the rest of this appendix, we say a little bit more about what we mean by narrow elicitation. What we really care about. Suppose we deploy powerful AI that ensures that humans look safe, and appear to be having the kind of lives we want to have. Our core interest is understanding the causal history behind humans look safe. Slightly more precisely, there is a naive causal story we have in our minds looking at a predicted future the AI met the humans' needs and kept them safe, so they continued living normal healthy-looking lives, and that was recorded by sensors which continue to operate as normal. We are really concerned with the questions that distinguish that causal story from alternative histories that would produce the same observations. The data making its way to our dataset may not be coming from the camera. The photo detectors in the camera may fail. The camera may work correctly but be pointed at a moving picture of a human instead of the real thing. The camera may be perceiving human-shaped objects in the environment, but they might be automata constructed to look like humans. There may be humans in the environment, but they may be actors trained to make it look like they are happy. The original humans may still be in the environment, but some of their neurons may now be controlled by tiny computers. Dot and so on. All of these changes break the normal causal structure of the world. It is possible for them to still look normal to a human observer, but only because someone somewhere did additional work. For example, if I'm replacing the humans with moving pictures, it could end up looking like almost anything, and it will only end up looking like humans going about their normal business if someone tried really hard to make sure that the moving pictures looked right. Similarly, if my neurons are now controlled by tiny robots, I could end up with a much broader range of behavior, and it only looks normal because someone is operating the neurons in a way designed to impersonate my normal behavior. The key requirement for ELK is that it should let us tell the difference between the expected causal history and any of these alternatives. We want to ask why the object on camera looks the same as the human who was there yesterday, 
and we want to distinguish the case where it's just a normal human doing the normal thing where they don't change much over any given day from the case where someone kidnapped the original human and replaced them with a doppelganger who they ensured looks similar. We don't care about actually getting a detailed description of what happened in the second case indeed it may involve concepts or technologies that are unfamiliar to the human, and it would okay from our perspective if the AI said it just happened by chance but we at least need to know that it's not the first case. Fortunately our research doesn't actually require being precise about these definitions. Instead, this represents an informal desideratum for each of our counterexamples that we can evaluate on a case-by-case basis in order to argue that an approach to ELK doesn't work, we need to argue not only that the model hid something, but that it hid something that matters. And it's okay if we use the informal criteria in this section to decide what matters, at least until we find a training strategy for which we can't find an unambiguous failure. Examples there are many border cases where it's not clear what answer to a question is correct. For the most part, we think that research on ELK should ignore these kinds of cases given an algorithm. We should try to find a case where it unambiguously does the wrong thing. If we can't find any unambiguous failures, then we think that it may be good enough to safely deploy AI, as discussed earlier in this section, and at any rate it would represent significant progress over the current state of the art. That said, talking through border cases can help clarify what we have in mind and so we do walk through a few of them here. Magical nanotechnology. Imagine a situation where my neurons have been filled with tiny robots, and they influence my behavior but in a way that looks random to a human overseer. We are not expecting narrow ELK to flag scenarios like this, even though in some sense they seem very abnormal, because the concepts involved in the abnormality may not be comprehensible to the human overseer. To be slightly more precise, suppose that Alice asks Bob pick a random number between 1 and 10 and Bob replies 7. A human doesn't expect an explanation beyond randomness. If in reality there were tiny machines in Bob's brain that influenced the electrical field in a neuron in a way that ultimately made him say 7, we are okay with the answer randomness. We are effectively treating facts humans don't understand about the detailed chemistry of neurons the same way we treat facts humans don't understand about the chemistry of tiny machines. In contrast, suppose that Alice asked Bob what is the capital of France, and Bob says Paris. Now the human does have a model for why Bob made this utterance, namely that he knows the capital of France and is inclined to answer honestly. And this model corresponds to a certain fact about what's happening in Bob's brain, the usual mechanism by which Bob recalls and reports facts, even if we don't actually know how that mechanism works. If instead that part of Bob's brain has been hollowed out, and there's a tiny machine in his brain that computes the answer and manipulates his neurons to say Paris, it would be unambiguously wrong to say that Bob answered the question because he learned the answer in school. We discuss issues like this, and how we want to handle them if ELK doesn't flag them, in Appendix Subtle Manipulation. The Ship of Theseus. Imagine an AI which describes the world in terms of fundamental fields that are constantly changing, while its human overseers think about rigid bodies that are static over time. If we ask this AI is this the same chair I was sitting on a minute ago, the AI ought to say yes the AI may not think of the chair as a single object which is the same over time but being the same chair is a critical part of the human's model of the situation which explains for example why the chair at 7.06pm looks practically identical to the chair at 7.05pm. If in fact someone had surreptitiously removed the chair at 7.05pm and replaced it with a new chair that was chosen to look identical, then it would be unambiguously wrong to say it's just the same chair that's been sitting there the whole time, it looks the same because nothing has happened to it. In this case, The reason that the chair looks the same is not because it's just the same chair doing the normal thing chairs do, nothing. It's because someone carefully picked out the replacement to look the same. Even if the replacement of the chair occurred using principles that the human doesn't understand, 
It is unambiguously wrong to say that the chair is the same without further explanation. And the same would be true if someone were to replace the whole chair one tiny piece at a time between 705 and 706. This may introduce even more ambiguity about whether you should say it is the same chair, but it would still be unambiguously wrong to say it's just the same chair that's been sitting there the whole time, it looks the same because nothing has happened to it. In the context of the ship of Theseus, there is a different reason that the ship looks the same after many years of gradual replacement, or that some properties are the same, namely when people replace the ship they tend to choose parts that are similar. And so again we don't much care whether the ship is the same, but we care a lot about distinguishing between the various stories for why the ship looks the same, and the completely different story where the ship looks the same by chance or for reasons beyond your ken. Miasma. Imagine an AI that believes the flu is caused by invisible viruses that change the behavior of human cells, while its human overseers believe it is caused by miasma. Narrow elicitation doesn't require the AI to explain its model of germs to humans, or to explain its beliefs about miasma. Realistically, we would never accept a case about miasma as a compelling counterexample to ELK because the human model of miasma isn't rich enough to really make unambiguous statements, clarifying the desired behavior of ELK in this case would be a philosophical rather than ML problem. That said, what we intuitively want to happen is similar to what we described in the last section, but with fuzzier boundaries because the human's model of miasma is less accurate. If 10 people get sick at a party, and miasma is the only way a human explains that kind of correlation, then our model ought to answer questions about miasma by saying that miasma was present. That is, there is something real in the world that gives rise to these correlations, allowing for confident human judgments about miasma in cases where they observe those correlations, and that thing should be described as miasma. Conversely, Suppose that a bioterrorist looks up the list of people at a party and then poisons them all. The human might mistakenly infer that this was due to miasma, but the bioterrorist's behavior is only generating the same pattern of correlations by coincidence and it shouldn't be described as due to miasma. A strawberry on a plate. Suppose that we have asked our AI to create a strawberry on a plate from scratch. In this case we don't think that ELK needs to correctly answer questions like is that really a strawberry? because it's not at all unambiguous what patterns of atoms count as a strawberry. But we do believe we should get unambiguous answers if we trace the causal history back further, and keep asking why. That is. It may be ambiguous whether the object on the plate counts as a strawberry, and hence whether the strawberry pixels on the camera look that way because there is a strawberry on the plate. But if the strawberry was created de novo, then the reason it is a strawberry is very unusual. If it was created by mechanisms completely alien to the human then the best explanation may be the atoms randomly coalesced into a strawberry or something beyond your ken happened. We may instead want the thing on the plate to be a strawberry because it was picked from a strawberry plant, which is a very different kind of explanation, which can be given in the human's model. We can continue the game backwards, it is ambiguous what counts as a strawberry plant in the human ontology, perhaps the AI has made something de novo with the correct DNA. But there is a natural story for why a strawberry plant has its properties, namely that it grew up from a strawberry seed taken from another strawberry plant. And if we keep tracing this path backwards we eventually bottom out the causal chain in a strawberry plant that existed before our AI did anything crazy in the world, for which there really is no ambiguity. This mirrors our general hope for how we might unambiguously conclude that human reflection is working correctly, and it also highlights a difference between our approach and other apparently narrow approaches, which might instead try to learn how to classify particular patterns of atoms as a strawberry. Indirect normativity defining a utility function. Suppose that ELK was solved, and we could train AIs to answer unambiguous human comprehensible questions about the consequences of their actions. 
How could we actually use this to guide a powerful AI's behavior? For example, how could we use it to select amongst many possible actions that an AI could take? The natural approach is to ask our AI how good are the consequences of action A, but that's way outside the scope of narrow ELK as described in Appendix Narrow Elicitation. Even worse in order to evaluate the goodness of very long-term futures, we'd need to know facts that narrow elicitation can't even explain to us, and to understand new concepts and ideas that are currently unfamiliar. For example, determining whether an alien form of life is morally valuable might require concepts and conceptual clarity that humans don't currently have. We'll suggest a very different approach. I can use ELK to define a local utility function over what happens to me over the next 24 hours. More generally, I can use ELK to interrogate the history of potential versions of myself, and define a utility function over who I want to delegate to, my default is to delegate to a near-future version of myself because I trust similar versions of myself, but I might also pick someone else, for example in cases where I am about to die or think someone else will make wiser decisions than I would. Using this utility function, I can pick my favorite distribution over people to delegate to, from amongst those that my AI is considering. If my AI is smart enough to keep me safe, then hopefully this is a pretty good distribution. The people I prefer to delegate to can then pick the people they want to delegate to, who can then pick the people they want to delegate to, etc. We can iterate this process many times, obtaining a sequence of smarter and smarter delegates. This sequence of smarter and smarter delegates will gradually come to have opinions about what happens in the far future. Muff today can only evaluate the local consequences of actions, but me in the future has grown enough to understand the key considerations involved, and can thus evaluate the global consequences of actions. Muff today can thus define utilities over things I don't yet understand by deferring to me in the future. In this section, we'll describe this approach slightly more carefully, and explain why we think it is a reasonable way to define the goals of a powerful AI system. This definition is not intended to be fully precise or to necessarily be desirable. Instead, the purpose is to help illustrate why narrow ELK may suffice for achieving desirable outcomes. We hope to return to this topic in much more detail in future articles. Rough proposal. We'll focus on a particular AI, let's call it M, considering a set of possible worlds. For example, we may be using M to evaluate the consequences of many different actions, each leading to its own possible world. In order to make predictions about each of those possible worlds, M may imagine future copies of itself who are themselves doing similar optimization, effectively performing a tree search. Most of these possible worlds contain people we could imagine delegating to, for example possible future versions of ourselves. Many of these people may show up on camera, and we could ask M to make predictions about them, for example what they would say in response to various questions. Moreover, we can use ELK to ask further questions about these people, and to clarify that they really are as they appear. Now we can consider two arbitrary possible people who we could delegate to, let's call them H1 and H1. Perhaps H1 is me from tomorrow if the AI locks the door and H1 is me from tomorrow if my AI doesn't lock the door. By posing questions to ELK, I can try to evaluate which of these people I would prefer to delegate to and by how much. This is intended to be a local judgment, I'm not trying to explicitly calculate the long-run consequences of delegating to H1 or H1, I'm instead looking at what happened to them and deciding how much I liked it. For example I may notice that H1 missed a meal while H1 got fed, in which case I'd be inclined to pick H1. In a simple deterministic universe, this suggests the following procedure. Across all the worlds that my AI is considering, and all of the people who I could delegate to within each of them, pick my favorite person to delegate to. Call them H1. Then we pick their favorite person to delegate to H2. 
they are picking from the same space of possible worlds, again posing questions to M in order to understand which worlds they like. But now I can't literally ask H1, since they are in the future, and I'm instead relying on M's predictions about what H1 would say. Continue in this way, picking H3, H4, and so on. Run this process for a long time. Then pick an action based on predicting how much the final delegate limit likes it. There are many subtleties when trying to adapt this proposal to a more realistic setting, which we won't get into here. We briefly mention three important examples to give some flavor, before moving on to a discussion of why we believe this general approach to defining a utility function is reasonable. The real world isn't deterministic. We are never picking a single delegate, we are picking probability distributions over delegates. We could run exactly the same process as before, where we pick the distribution height plus one in order to optimize the expected utility as evaluated by a random member of height, but this raises questions about how we perform the aggregation. These questions are not straightforward but we believe they are resolvable. Sometimes the delegate HN will want to delegate to a future version of themselves, but they will realize that the situation they are in is actually not very good, for example, the AI may have no way to get them food for the night, and so they would actually prefer that the AI had made a different decision at some point in the past. We want our AI to take actions now that will help keep us safe in the future, so it's important to use this kind of data to guide the AI's behavior. But doing so introduces significant complexities, related to the issues discussed in Appendix Subtle Manipulation. We've talked vaguely about worlds being considered by the M that means that in order to make predictions about one of the HN we need to be asking M conditional questions, like how would I answer question Q if you asked me next week, assuming that you take action A1 right now and action A2 in the future? It's unclear if this is a reasonable ask and it complicates the picture significantly, the only reason we think that it's plausible is that any agent which plans over long horizons needs to at least implicitly consider these kinds of counterfactuals anyway. Why is this a reasonable thing to optimize? The most basic hope is that we trust our future selves to have good judgment about what should happen in the world. There are many reasons that basic hope could fail, some of which we'll discuss here. First, we want to state a few additional assumptions that are critical for this proposal being reasonable. It's relatively easy to keep humans safe and relatively happy, even while our AI is pursuing complex plans to acquire flexible influence and retain option value. We are okay with a future where AI systems mostly wait for future humans to figure out what is good before acting on it, and just do the basics, based on human current moral views, while we figure out what we want. Moreover, Doing the basics we care about is compatible with acquiring resources and keeping humans safe. Our AI is able to perform basic reasoning about what humans want and what future humans will say at least as complex as any of the reasoning in this report. The humans participating in this process are basically reasonable and correctly perform basic reasoning about the situation at least as complex as the reasoning in this report. Does this process of indefinite delegation go somewhere good? In this proposal each human has to choose their favorite person to delegate to for the next step. If they introduce small errors at each step then the process may go off the rails. We think this is a very reasonable and essentially inevitable risk humans who are living their normal lives day to day need to make choices that affect what kind of person they will become tomorrow, and so their hope that they will eventually reach good conclusions is based on exactly the same bucket brigade. The only difference is that instead of the human directly taking actions to try and bring about the tomorrow they want, an AI is also directly eliciting and acting on those preferences. However, Humans can still use exactly the same kind of conservative approach to gradual growth and learning that they use during life before AI. It's not at all clear if this approach actually leads somewhere good, but the question seems basically the same as without AI. You might hope that AI could make this situation better, 
for example by taking the decision out of human hands that's an option in our protocol, since the human can choose to delegate to a machine instead of their future self, but we think that the main priority is making sure that humans that take the conservative approach can remain competitive rather than being relegated to irrelevance. Similarly, you might worry that even if all goes well our future selves may not be able to figure out what to do. Again, it's worth remembering that our future selves can build all kinds of tools, including whatever other kind of AI we might have considered building back in 2021, and can grow and change over many generations. If they can't solve the problem there's not really any hope for a solution. Can your AI really predict what some distant human will think? We don't expect an AI system to be able to predict what distant future humans will think in any detail at all. However, we're optimistic that it can make good enough predictions to get safe and competitive behavior. In particular, our AI doesn't actually have to understand almost anything about what future humans will want. It only needs to keep the humans safe, acquire flexible influence on their behalf, and then use it in the future when humans figure out what they want. Acquire influence over the future is already a hard problem for AI, but if no AI can acquire influence over the future then we're okay if the aligned AI also doesn't do so, and instead focuses on near-term concerns. We only need our AI to look out to the far future if it is competing with unaligned AI which is itself seeking power and working at cross-purposes to humanity. If our AI is competitive with the unaligned AI, then it will also be able to reason about how various actions lead to at least some kinds of long-term influence. If it is reasonably competent then it can understand that future humans will be unhappy if they end up disempowered. So it seems like our AI can use exactly the same heuristics that an unaligned AI would use to reason about power in order to make some approximate judgments about what far future humans would want. Although this issue, and the others in this section, are very complex, our current expectation is that we can get good outcomes here as long as our AI is, I, just as smart as unaligned AI, 2, meets a minimum bar of competence for reasoning about humans, 3, honestly answers questions about predicted futures. Can your AI model this crazy sequence of delegation? In addition to reasoning about far future humans, we need to reason about the entire sequence of humans delegating to one another. We hope that this reasoning is feasible because it is closely analogous to a problem that the unaligned AI must solve it needs to reason about acquiring resources that will be used by future copies of itself, who will themselves acquire resources to be used by further future copies and so on. So the weird recursive part of this problem appears to be shared between aligned and unaligned AI, and the only extra work the aligned AI needs to do is understanding the local human preferences what we mean by safe and how we want to evolve. As long as that task isn't too hard, and our AI is as smart as the unaligned AI it's competing against, we hope our AI will be able to reason well enough about the long sequence of delegation. Avoiding subtle manipulation. A human looking at themselves in 24 hours time can tell that they've been able to eat, that they haven't been shot, and so on, but they can't necessarily tell if everything is going well. A mundane counterexample is that they may have talked with someone who cleverly manipulates them into a position that they wouldn't really endorse, or emotionally manipulated them in a way that will change their future conclusions. A very exotic example is being infected with a virus that will very subtly change their behavior in a way that totally changes their long-term values but has few short-term observable consequences. In general changes like this are outside the scope of narrow ELK as described in Appendix Narrow Elicitation. That is, our version of narrow elicitation allows the human to distinguish between the human understandable causal history and everything else. But very often the reason that something happens is just something that you can't model and hence treat as random. ELK doesn't let us distinguish between noise in the environment and a clever plan that works for reasons you don't understand. ELK does let us distinguish between cases where happy humans appear on camera for reasons you don't understand, 
despite all humans being dead and the humans are actually safe for reasons you don't understand. But an attacker, or our AI, could still exploit stuff we don't understand to cause long-term changes that we are unhappy about. So we need some other way of dealing with that problem. The most straightforward way to avoid this problem is to ask for a more ambitious version of ELK, that can tell us for example whether our decision is influenced by something we wouldn't approve of. Unfortunately, it seems like the kind of approaches explored in this report really are restricted to the narrower version of ELK and probably couldn't handle the more ambitious problem. So it's natural to wonder whether there is another way around this problem if there isn't, we may want to focus on approaches that could scale to the more ambitious version of ELK. We will take a very different tack. We won't ask our AI to tell us anything at all about subtle manipulation. We won't even ask our AI to tell us about extreme cases like your neurons are full of tiny machines that could influence when they fire, they just aren't doing much right now. Instead, we will try to avoid subtle manipulation by using the fact that it is rare by default, i.e. it only occurs because someone somewhere is selecting their actions very carefully. For example, suppose I watch a 10 seconds ad that is carefully chosen by a brilliant paperclip maximizing marketer. Five years after watching this ad, I decide that paperclips are great so I dedicate my time to making lots of them, and if you evaluate outcomes using my conclusions after deliberation then you'll conclude that this was a great outcome and the AI should help, for example if we evaluate using the utility function defined in appendix utility function. I'm not able to look at the process of deliberation and notice anything bad happening, and so it seems I can't incentivize my AI to warn me about this ad or prevent me from watching it. But from my perspective in advance, there are many possible ads I could have watched. Because I don't understand how the ads interact with my values, I don't have very strong preferences about which of them I see. If you asked me in the present to delegate to me in the future, I would be indifferent between all of these possible copies of myself who watch different ads. And if I look across all of those possible copies of me, I will see that almost all of them actually think the paperclip outcome is pretty bad. There's just this one copy, the one who sees the actual ad that happens to exist in the real world, who comes up with a weird conclusion. In order to avoid the problem I don't need to understand how the manipulation works, or even that there was manipulation just that I ended up doing something that I probably wouldn't like, averaging over possible worlds that look equally good to me. Making this idea formal presence a ton of complications, and it will take much more work to understand whether it's a via Blay approach. But overall it's our current best guess about how this kind of subtle manipulation will be addressed, and it's at least plausible enough that we don't think we should rule out approaches to ELK that can't recognize subtle manipulation. In the rest of this section, we'll discuss a variety of possible cases where our AI might try to manipulate us, or might need to defend us from someone else trying to manipulate us, or might do harm in its attempts to protect us from manipulation, and explain how we hope to avert those bad outcomes. Failing to defend against sophisticated attackers. Suppose someone wants to make a lot of paperclips, and so selects actions to try to push my deliberative process in a paperclip maximizing direction in ways I wouldn't flag as problematic. We'd like for my AI to help me anticipate and protect against this kind of manipulation, even if I can't recognize it as manipulation either in advance or after the fact. In order to influence us, an attacker needs to be able to understand the long-term consequences of many different possible actions, so that they can pick the action that leads to us making lots of paperclips. If our AI is equally sophisticated, then we hope that it can also reason about the consequences of many different actions, and in particular whether they would lead to us valuing paperclips. Using ELK, we can discover that in most possible worlds that look equally good according to us, we don't value paperclips. To make this work, we effectively need to expand the set of possible worlds that we are talking about in the utility function definition from appendix utility function. In addition to considering the possible actions that our AI could take, 
we need to consider the possible actions that adversaries could take. As mentioned in that section, it's very unclear if we can ask these kinds of counterfactual questions to our AI, there's some sense in which it must be reasoning about the answers, but it may represent an additional step beyond ELK. Of course our AI may not actually be able to do the same reasoning as an adversary. If our AI is completely oblivious to the possibility of an adversary then of course they will not be able to defend us, but the most likely case may be that our AI can reason abstractly about the presence of an adversary and the kind of optimization they might do without being able to reason concretely about any of the possible actions they considered. Our hope is that in this case, the exact same abstract reasoning that allows our AI to heuristically predict consequences of the other AI's optimization can also allow our AI to heuristically predict counterfactuals. This looks plausible but far from certain, and it's a topic that definitely deserves more time than it will get in this article. Aside on counterfactuals. This approach to avoiding subtle manipulation requires considering many different ways that the future could have been. This is relatively easy if our AI makes decisions by considering many possible actions and predicting the consequences of each. But it becomes much harder when our AI is reasoning about other agents, whether adversaries or future copies of itself, who are thinking about multiple options. It's fairly plausible that this will be an open problem for implementing indirect normativity even given a solution to narrow ELK. We have no idea how similar it will end up being to other work that tries to clarify the notion of counterfactual in particular. We have not seen any other approach to alignment that needed counterfactuals for similar reasons, and so we have no idea whether our use case will end up turning on similar philosophical questions. Our AI manipulating us instead of acquiring resources. We want our AI to execute complex plans in order to acquire flexible influence. In order to evaluate how good a plan is, we'll ask our AI to predict how happy future people are with the result, since they are better positioned to understand the complex events happening in the future and whether the AI successfully put itself in a position to do what they wanted. But it might be much easier to manipulate our future selves into being really happy with the outcome than it is to actually maximize option value, which may require for example trying to make money in a competitive economy. So we should worry about the possibility that our AI will manipulate us instead of helping us. It seems that we can avoid this problem by being careful about how we construct the utility function. As described in Appendix Utility Function, we want to use a proposal that decouples the human we are asking to evaluate a world from the humans in that world this ensures that manipulating the humans to be easily satisfied can it improve the evaluation of a world. This requires humans in one possible future to evaluate a different possible future, but they can do that talking to our current AI about what it predicts will happen in those futures, exactly the same process we are proposing to use today when we evaluate the consequences of a proposed action for the smart vault by looking at predicted video and using ELK. There are a number of other serious complications, especially coming from the fact that the human who is doing the evaluating may have different preferences than anyone in the world being evaluated, but it looks to us like this basic idea can probably work. Humans going crazy off distribution. Suppose that humans are adapted to breathing a certain kind of atmosphere at a certain pressure, and that if you slightly change those parameters they don't have an obvious or immediate problem but they slowly go off the rails. If this process is slow enough, we can imagine a human looking in from the outside who is unable to tell that something has gone wrong, because by the time it has the consequences are too subtle and far removed from our current experience to be obviously amiss. In this case, the procedure described in the last section could go astray. Our AI might imagine many different compositions of the atmosphere, and conclude that the, the normal one is actually fairly exceptional, for most possible compositions the human would eventually go crazy, and so if you follow the reasoning from the previous section you might conclude that going crazy is actually the correct outcome from deliberation. 
Put differently, our procedure does not distinguish between a very specific situation yielding an unusual outcome because the specific condition was a necessary precondition for human reasoning, or because it was the result of an adversary's manipulation. To handle these cases we would like our AI overseer to be reasoning explicitly about the kinds of distributional shift that could cause trouble. This need not involve understanding for example why a different atmosphere would lead humans to slowly go crazy, it could simply involve heuristic reasoning like where possible. We would like humans and groups of humans to keep operating under the same kinds of conditions for which they are adapted and then trying to identify which possible novel conditions are most closely analogous and therefore safest. That is, we are adopting a presumption in favor of the average behavior over a large number of different situations, and that presumption can be overcome by arguments like this situation is the one most similar to the human's historical environment, and therefore most likely to yield good outcomes. Importantly, we are not using a heuristic like this situation is the default if I didn't ask, and therefore most likely to yield good outcomes, because the default can involve other sophisticated adversaries manipulating us. In order to achieve good outcomes, we need our AI to be good enough at reasoning about what kinds of important changes to the environment might derail our deliberation, or to be able to act sufficiently conservatively in cases where it is uncertain, for example by isolating us from some kinds of changes, or by making agreements with other AIs to change things slowly, or etc. This problem is very distinct from detecting subtle manipulation because it doesn't involve playing against an intelligent adversary, we expect that you can perform well enough by taking a slow conservative path and using relatively unsophisticated reasoning at first. We currently don't regard this as a problem with alignment per se, but instead a general challenge which humanity will face if accelerating technological change can subject us to very new environments. Generative modeling details. In order to make algorithms and counterexamples concrete, we need to be more specific about the architecture and loss used for training the prediction model. The broad picture is essentially the same regardless of these details, but working with a concrete example clarifies important subtleties and may make the discussion more plausible. We will consider a variational autoencoder in an effort to make the discussion as clean as possible. Let before and after be observations, action be the smart vault actions, and let Z be a vector of floats representing the generative model's latent space. We'll parametrize three models by a vector of parameters theta. Def prediction before, action, theta. Hash returns an autoregressive model for PZ vertical bar before, action. Def posterior before, action, after, theta. Hash returns an autoregressive model for PZ vertical bar before, action, after. Def observation Z, theta. Hash returns an autoregressive model for P after vertical bar Z. Then we will use SGD on theta to optimize the standard variational lower bound on log P after vertical bar action, before. Def loss theta. Before, action, after equals dataset.sample. Z underscore prior equals prediction before, action, theta. Z underscore posterior equals posterior before, action, after, theta. KL equals Z underscore prior dot KL underscore divergence Z underscore posterior. Log prob equals observation Z underscore prior dot sample, theta log after. Return KL, log prob. Intuitively, we are asking the model to explain what it expects to happen when it sees action and before, then we are asking it to explain what it thinks actually happened after it sees after, and then we are penalizing it based on the difference. Having set up our generative model, we can now describe the predictor. It operates directly in the latent space Z, and is optimized to give good answers, as judged by the human, when the latent is drawn from the posterior. Class human. Def pose underscore question before, action, after. Hash returns a question. Hash should be one a human thinks can be answered unambiguously. 
Def loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. Hash returns a non-negative loss. Hash good answers get a loss of zero. Def reporter question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Hash answers the question in the world described by Z. Def reporter underscore loss human, theta, theta underscore reporter. Before, action, after equals dataset dot sample. Question equals human dot pose underscore question before, action, after. Z equals posterior before, action, after, theta sample. Answer equals reporter question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Return human dot loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. All of the proposals in section first attempts can be applied to this setting. Some of them even appear significantly more plausible after we've explicitly separated out inference from decoding, but we believe that essentially the same counterexamples apply. Avoiding data errors. Most of this report focused on the inductive bias of our learning procedure. If the honest reporter and the human simulator got the same loss, how would we ensure that training learned the honest reporter? In some sense this requires zero systematic error. Any systematic error could be copied by the human simulator and allow it to achieve a lower loss than the direct translator. If we never mess up, then the direct translator and the human simulator will get the same loss and so the question will be settled by the inductive bias, but if we have too many errors that won't matter. Some authors have cited this issue as the core obstacle to learning the direct translator. For example, in Look Where I'm Pointing, Not At My Finger Eliezer seems tentatively optimistic about attacking this problem for contemporary ML, but expects problems for sufficiently powerful AI because the best possible classifier of the relation between the training cases and the observed button labels will always pass through user 2. Issues with data quality take a backseat in this report for a few reasons. In our view there are many promising approaches to eliminating or tolerating data imperfections, whereas correcting the inductive bias appears like a more plausible fundamental obstacle. We describe several of these approaches in the following section. The naive training procedure could learn the human simulator even with perfect data, so we probably need to modify our learning procedure. That means that we may not even understand what kind of data we need or what it would mean for it to be perfect. If we found a training strategy that had an inductive bias in favor of the honest reporter when the data was perfect, then it would also learn the honest reporter for some sufficiently small amount of imperfection. So before discussing data quality it seems important to get some sense for how large we can make this margin of error. It's very hard to predict whether perfect data will be a blocker before knowing this. Approaches for handling imperfect data. Optimize human approval rather than exactly imitating humans. If we train a model to predict human answers, then any arbitrariness in human answers becomes an imperfection that allows the human simulator to achieve lower loss than the honest reporter. The first step towards removing imperfections is to make the loss function much more forgiving. One easy way to make things much better is to assign non-zero loss only to answers where a human is confident that they are wrong. Here is a simple procedure. To evaluate loss for an answer A, first generate an alternative answer A. Give A a loss of 1 if it is unambiguously worse than A. Otherwise give A a loss of 0. The idea is that, if our dataset is sufficiently close to perfect, an honest answer will never be unambiguously dominated by an alternative answer. One limitation of this approach is that most predictions will never be unambiguously dominated, if the diamond in fact remains in the room, and the reporter said it would remain in the room with 10% probability, is that worse than saying it would remain in the room with 90% probability? This limitation is addressed by the more realistic approach to generative modeling discussed in Appendix Generative Modeling. We don't believe it is a fundamental obstacle regardless of how the generative model works, for example you can draw many samples from an autoregressive model to estimate probabilities.
Train AI to raise caveats. We only have trouble if the human confidently makes a judgment that turns out to have been wrong, i.e. which penalizes the honest reporter. But we can train an AI critic to help point out ways that the human answer might have been wrong. It's okay if this often leads to the human being uncertain and making no judgment, as long as we do have a reasonable number of cases where the human is confident about what is happening, at the 10 till 9 level, or however low we need to get the error rate before we're within our margin of safety. This level of confidence does not seem extraordinary, especially if someone is highlighting ways you might be wrong. Moreover, the task of pointing out how a human might be wrong seems relatively easy for an AI that is able to predict what will happen, predict human judgments, and predict the truth, since such an AI must have a relatively clear model of human inferences. So we don't expect to run into problems from our AI not noticing the explanation. Safely improve data efficiency. Our margin of error generally increases as we have more efficient learners. For example, if we need only 10,000 data points to train the honest reporter, then we can clearly tolerate any error rate significantly below 1 10,000th. That said, I think this isn't necessarily a great solution on its own. We need to be sure that our methods for improving efficiency don't themselves favor the human simulator. That rules out many options for example, we don't want the reporter to be learned quickly by sharing parameters with the predictor, and in fact we will need to work hard to avoid the possibility that such sharing potentially introduces an inductive bias in favor of human imitation as described in appendix weight sharing. In light of that, I think that the reporter may require a lot of data, since the hardest cases for ELK are those where the honest reporter is relatively complex compared to the predictor. Revisit or throw out overly surprising data. Suppose that we need an error rate of 10 till 9 in order to avoid penalizing the honest reporter too much, for example because we want to collect a billion data points without a single error. This kind of error rate seems potentially achievable with realistic levels of care and paranoia, but being extremely paranoid for every data point seems like it may increase costs unacceptably. However, we don't necessarily have to apply such techniques uniformly. If a small number of data points make the difference between learning the honest reporter and the human simulator, it seems fairly likely that we can automatically identify them as influential outliers for the reporter. Depending on the robustness of the procedure we can then either throw out the outliers, or we can label them more carefully. For example, suppose we have access to some situations and questions where the human simulator and the honest reporter disagree, which we hopefully haven't included in our dataset. Then a small number of examples that cause us to learn the human simulator would be very influential for the reporter's behavior in these confusing situations. We can try to identify these examples algorithmically by looking at the gradient of the loss, for example using influence functions. It generally feels like we are in a really good place if there is an inductive bias in favor of the intended model, even if we don't see concrete techniques for fixing the problem. At that point we've effectively broken the symmetry between these two models one of them is favored a priori and the other is supported by some very small fraction of the training data. It's easy to imagine incremental progress in ML giving us the ability to select the model that is preferred a priori. ELK for learned optimizers. This report has focused on ontology identification, a particular example that seems challenging for ELK. We think that this is the simplest and clearest example where ELK is challenging, and it likely isolates an important part of the difficulty, but other cases may turn out to be even more challenging. Another important family of examples are where the learned model itself performs optimization. Similar cases have been discussed extensively by researchers working on AI alignment, for example in risks from learned optimization, and seem like a plausible candidate for the hardest part of the problem. We've spent some time thinking about learned optimization but have very little idea how hard ELK will turn out to be in this context. 
It seems plausible both that ELK for learned optimization is straightforward once ontology identification is resolved, or that learned optimization will turn out to contain most of the difficulty. In this report we've focused on ontology identification rather than learned optimization because it appears to be the base case the solution in cases involving learned optimization looks likely to build upon the solution in cases without learned optimization. It appears to be very difficult to work on ELK for learned optimization without knowing how to solve the base case, but very easy to work on the base case without thinking about the recursion. In this section we describe our preliminary thoughts about ELK for learned optimization. Our hope is both to explain why we are putting it on the back burner until making more progress on ontology identification, and why we think that it is reasonably likely to be solvable. We expect this section to be a bit hard to follow and probably worth skipping for readers who haven't specifically found themselves wondering but how is this approach to ELK going to generalize to learned optimization? Isn't this whole approach doomed? We do think these topics are important, but we hope to refine and explain our views more in the future. Preface learned reasoning doesn't require special techniques. We currently expect reasoning to behave similarly to inference in the predictor's Bayes net. For example, consider a system that performs logical deductions and propositional logic. From our perspective these deductions behave similarly to updates in an approximate inference algorithm, and we still hope to learn a direct translator which understands the semantics of the reasoner's language in order to translate into the human's Bayes net. This argument looks like it should keep working even if our reasoners, or our approximate inference algorithms, themselves have interesting structure, for example using heuristics to decide what deductions to perform next. A recursive case learned learning. Our learned predictor may itself construct a learning problem and solve it as a subtask of prediction. For example, once a predictor has started reasoning about the world and knows what kinds of objects it contains, it may decide to train a special purpose model in order to more quickly simulate the interactions of those objects. For simplicity, let's assume that the inner learning process itself produced a Bayes net. This learned model may itself have latent knowledge. And the kinds of approaches that we have discussed so far are unlikely to be able to elicit that knowledge. In order to figure out how to translate between the inner Bayes net and the human's Bayes net, we need to solve a small instance of the ELK problem to learn an inner reporter for each input. We may need to do further reasoning to combine the inner reporter's answers with other information in the predictor, but we'll focus here on learning the inner reporter. If we weren't worried about the human simulator, then this would be straightforward. We would simply train the reporter to answer questions well, and it could learn the strategy use ELK to learn an inner reporter for the inner learning problem, and then use that reporter to help answer questions. Our concern is that we will instead learn the meta-human simulator use gradient descent to learn an inner reporter who answers questions like a human would, and then use that reporter to answer questions. After all, we here on the outside are doing a bunch of research to figure out how to solve ELK, and then deliberately deciding that we want to use ELK instead of naively using gradient descent. Why would the learned model go through all that trouble if its only goal is to minimize the training loss? To fix this problem we somehow need to encourage the inner learning process to also use ELK. This hopefully explains our use of the adjective recursive, and why we believe this problem may be hard to work on before having a clear picture of ontology identification. If we don't know what we are trying to get the inner learner to do, it's hard to figure out how we should incentivize it to do that. Despite that ignorance, here are some preliminary thoughts on possible approaches. Imitative generalization. Instead of directly having the reporter learn a heuristic like apply SGD to learn a reporter for the inner predictor we could try to learn to identify the inner learner and supply this information to humans during the training process. Those humans could then apply ELK to the inner learner directly, for the same reasons that we are applying ELK on the outside, and use this to answer questions that a human couldn't label directly. 
after distilling these answers into the outer reporter, it could learn the strategy do ELK on the inner learner to get an inner reporter. Ask for a certificate. We can view a solution to ELK as providing a kind of certificate that an answer is good, for example, the fact that F is the fastest function that answers a broad range of questions well gives us evidence that FQ is a good answer to the question Q rather than producing this certificate directly on the outside. By producing the fastest reporter F, we can allow our model to give us a similar certificate by solving an inner optimization to find the fastest inner reporter. If taking this approach, a realistic certificate would probably be a combination of evidence from the outer and inner optimizations. We consider this approach plausible, but there are certainly huge questions and uncertainties. Do nothing. Some solutions to ELK may be reflective and pass through from the outside to the inside unchanged. For example, if we ask the reporter to depend on the most upstream part of the predictor, then it's possible that the inner reporter is also incentivized to depend on the most upstream part of the inner predictor. This doesn't seem particularly plausible for this rule or any of the others we consider, but it seems like being reflective in this way is a plausible indicator of a good approach to ELK. We take this seriously as a heuristic argument in favor of reflective approaches, but we focus primarily on whether approaches solve the object-level ontology identification problem because we feel like we have a much more precise picture of that aspect of the problem. Another recursive case optimization using learned model. We may learn a predictor that itself contains an inner model. For concreteness imagine the inner model simply does inference in a Bayes net, but it could also for example be deduction in first-order logic, uses its inner model to evaluate plans for achieving a low loss, and then picks plans expected to lead to the lowest loss. For example, suppose that the predictor contains a cognitive scratch space, you could literally imagine pen and paper, or an external calculating device, and uses its inner model to select what sequence of actions to take in the cognitive scratch space in order to make a good prediction about what the camera will show. In this case, we want to apply ELK to the inner model, and then have the learned reasoner use that model in order to answer questions. Here are some preliminary thoughts on possible approaches, analogous to the three discussed in the last section. Imitative generalization. Rather than learning an outer model that has an inner model and uses it to optimize, we could try to directly learn the inner model in a form that a human can use. We could hope that the inner model is simpler than the outer model, since the outer model also must specify the inner model, and that a procedure like iterated amplification could allow a human to use the inner model just as effectively as the outer model did. If this were true, then IG would naturally learn the inner model, and we would end up distilling, human using the inner model, instead of directly learning the outer model. At that point, gradient descent is learning the inner model directly and we can apply ELK to it. Then we are distilling an amplified human who is using a version of the inner model which is able to answer questions about its latent knowledge, and it seems reasonable to hope the whole system then volunteers its latent knowledge. Ask for a certificate. When we ask our AI a question about what's happening, we can also ask for a certificate about that the answer is good, where we are, as before, viewing ELK as a way of producing such a certificate. For example this is the output of the fastest function that produces good judgments in training cases is the kind of thing we might be looking for. Then a solution to ELK for the inner model, which produces certificates that the inner model's answers are good, might be exactly what the learned optimizer needs to do in order to produce a good certificate for the outer model. Do nothing. We could simply set up the ELK objective and have our system use learned reasoning in order to minimize that objective, hopefully leading it to use the inner model, combined with ELK, to answer questions about the world. We are somewhat skeptical of this approach working, because a sufficiently powerful learned model is likely to know whether or not an input could plausibly appear in the training set, 
And if it is doing reasoning to achieve a low loss then it seems quite possible that it will generalize pathologically once inputs cannot appear in the training set. An interesting complication of this case, not present in the learned learning case, is that a model may for example decide to use its cognitive scratch space to implement algorithms which themselves build latent knowledge. At that point we have at least two places latent knowledge can arise in the inner model, and in the algorithm being run in the scratch space, which the inner model predicted to be a good algorithm. The three bullets above describe approaches for eliciting knowledge from the inner model, but it seems like the same idea can be applied to algorithms run on the cognitive scratch space. At this point our recursion is not simple, we have reduced ELK for the large model into two smaller instances of ELK. More generally, we think there are likely to be many inner models that can form latent knowledge, and a realistic AI is likely to involve a kind of complicated and fuzzy mess of them. This is worth keeping in mind but we don't see any particular reason to expect this complication to make the problem impossible, and it seems even harder to work on until we've resolved the base case of ELK and seen how to make the recursion work in simple cases. Weight sharing between the predictor and human simulator. In our counterexamples, we've considered a human simulator which needs to describe how humans reason. But in reality the predictor already needs to have a good model of human behavior, and so it seems plausible that the reporter can reuse this machinery. If the predictor and reporter are trained jointly that seems almost inevitable. You might think that weight sharing between the predictor and human simulator is the important counterexample that we should be focusing on, and that we shouldn't be thinking about other counterexamples where for example the human simulator is simpler than the honest reporter even without weight sharing. This was the salient example for Paul when he wrote about this issue in teaching models to answer questions honestly instead of predicting human answers, and it is the implicit framing in other discussions like look where I'm pointing, not at my finger. We don't focus on it in our research or discuss in this report because approaches that prevent human simulation, for example here or here, don't seem like they would prevent human imitation, because human imitation can still be simpler than the honest reporter. But approaches that prevent human imitation seem like they will need to leverage something other than simplicity, and in most other respects human simulation and human imitation behave similarly. That suggests that human imitation will be the harder problem and we should be avoiding any technique specific to simulation. On top of that, human imitation is a simpler and more generic counterexample. It applies to models in any domain and requires fewer assumptions. So pedagogically it seems easier to focus on this counterexample. Overall we think that focusing on human imitation instead of human simulation is a small step forward for making useful progress on ELK. Could the possibility of weight sharing help? On the other hand, you might wonder whether the fact that humans are embedded in the predictor might make ELK easier or even break one of our counterexamples. For example, in section compression we discuss a counterexample where the predictor is very simple relative to direct translation, but this may be impossible given that humans, and all of the sensors they use to understand the world, need to be embedded in the predictor's distribution over initial states. We are quite skeptical that this will make TEP problem easier. Taking the proposal in section compression, the problem is that human imitation does just as good a job as direct translation at compressing the human part of predictor, both reporters totally characterize how the human answers questions, while the human simulator is simpler, and so the difference in complexity needs to be made up for by the rest of the predictor. We expect this behavior to be quite general. There are ways to exploit weight sharing between the predictor and the reporter, but we expect them to amount to treading water and reducing to the case where the predictor doesn't contain any humans. Detailed game of life example. Our running example involving diamonds and cameras fails to permit precise descriptions of reality, human understanding of the world, the intended reporter, and the human simulator. To demonstrate our arguments still hold when made more precisely, 
we will present an example of the problem in terms of the game of life, GOL. The GOL is a two-dimensional cellular automaton devised by John Conway. The world of GOL consists of a 2D grid of cells which are either alive or dead. The world evolves according to three rules. Any live cell with two or three live neighbors survives. Any dead cell with three live neighbors becomes a live cell. All other live cells die in the next generation. Similarly, all other dead cells stay dead. In this example, the fundamental nature of the world will be the GOL and human observations will be the total cell counts in 1000 by 1000 grids of GOL cells. How the prediction logic works. The predictor will have learned the fundamental nature of the world and model it in terms of its fundamental nature. Its latent state will represent a probability distribution over cell trajectories of the world that obey the GOL rules. Inference will consist of discarding trajectories incompatible with observations, renormalizing, and using the resulting distribution to predict future observations. Def extract underscore obs underscore I cell underscore trajectory. Hash extracts observations from a cell trajectory. Def predictor underscore prior. Hash returns the predictors prior over cell underscore trajectories. Def prediction underscore logic observations. Posterior equals predictor underscore prior. For trog in posterior. If extract underscore obs underscore I trog, len observations. Equals observations. Posterior trog equals zero. Posterior dot normalize hash ensure the posterior sums to one. Return posterior. Def observation underscore extracting underscore head posterior. World equals posterior dot sample. Return extract underscore obs underscore I world. How humans answer questions. Humans will model the world in terms of a finite list of objects that are associated with various observations. Much like we infer an object is an apple from a red, shiny, circular blob, humans in the GOL universe will infer the presence of objects like gliders from moving patterns of five count differences in observations. Similar to how humans in this universe might only be able to infer simple properties like size, speed and color when they are very confused. Humans in the GOL universe will have catch-all categories of active and stable to describe confusing patterns of observations. Type. Size. Behavior. Origin. Active. Varies. Grows and shrinks randomly. When two objects collide they become active. Stable. Varies. Still. Active turns to stable 10% of steps. A. 4. Still. Active decays to A on 5% of steps. B. 3. Moves back and forth. Active decays to be on 3% of steps. C. 6 till 8. Flickers from 6 till 8. Active decays to C on 1% of steps. D. 5. Moves diagonally at speed 1. Active emits D on 2% of steps. E. 13. Moves orthogonally at speed 2. Active emits E on 0.1% of steps. Humans will understand the world in terms of an object trajectory containing various objects and their movements through time. Humans assign low prior probability to objects deviating from their expected behaviors. Similar to the prediction logic, inference will consist of discarding initial conditions incompatible with observations and renormalizing. Def extract underscore obs underscore h of underscore trajectory. Hash extracts a sequence of observations from an object trajectory. Def human underscore prior. Hash returns the human's prior over trajectories. Def human underscore inference observations. Posterior equals predictor underscore prior. For trog in posterior. If extract underscore obs underscore h trog. Equals observations. Posterior trog equals zero. Posterior dot normalize hash ensure the posterior sums to one. Return posterior. 
The human can then use this posterior distribution over trajectories to answer various questions. Question. Answer. Where is the D that is at location, 4, 10, at T equals 30 going to be at T equals 34? Location, 5, 11. Is cell, 50, 23, active at T equals 58? No. How many S will be in the bounding box with top left corner at, 3, 3, and bottom right corner at, 150, 200, at T equals 95? 2. Intended translator versus human simulator. As you might have guessed, the objects familiar to a human correspond to precise patterns of cells. The intended translator answers questions about objects as if they were about the corresponding cell patterns. For simplicity, suppose that all questions are of the form what's the probability that, location, contains, object, at, time. The intended translator answer this question by reporting the total probability mass the latent posterior placed on initial conditions that, when simulated forwards, could contain the cell patterns corresponding to, object, at, location, and, time. Def convert underscore pattern object. Hash returns the cell pattern that corresponds to a given object. Def intended underscore translator post underscore i, question. Cell underscore pattern equals convert underscore pattern question dot object. Answer equals zero. For cell underscore trajectory in post underscore i. Frame equals cell underscore trajectory question dot time. If frame dot contains cell underscore pattern, question dot location. Answer plus equals post underscore I cell underscore trajectory. Return some answer dot values. In contrast, the human simulator answers questions by extracting observations, doing human inference, and reporting the probability mass a human would place on trajectories containing, object, and, location, and, time. Def human underscore simulator post underscore I, question. Answer equals zero. For cell underscore trojan post underscore I. OBS equals extract underscore OBS underscore I cell underscore trajectory. POST underscore H equals human underscore inference OBS. For obj underscore troj and POST underscore H. FRAME equals obj underscore troj question dot time. If frame dot contains question dot object, question dot location. ANSWER plus equals POST underscore H obj underscore troj, POST underscore I cell underscore troj. RETURN ANSWER. COMPLEXITY ANALYSIS. We assume that checking whether a location contains a cell pattern, extracting observations and checking whether a trajectory contains an object all have small complexity. Thus, in order to determine whether the intended translator is more complicated than the human simulator, we only have to compare the complexity of convert underscore pattern to the complexity of human underscore inference. The only ingredient of human underscore inference that requires significant complexity is the prior over possible trajectories, equivalent to dynamics that govern the properties and behaviors of various objects. If the cell patterns that correspond to these objects get larger, for example larger and larger spaceships, the complexity of the dynamics will scale sublinearly with the number of cells in the cell patterns. In contrast, convert underscore pattern must represent the entirety of the cell pattern, which scales linearly with the number of cells in the pattern. As such, as the cellular size of human objects gets large, it's possible that human objects have enough cells that convert underscore pattern is more complicated than human underscore inference. Computation analysis. We assume mapping objects to their corresponding cell patterns takes very little computation. Since human trajectories are formulated in terms of objects and their locations, we also assume that querying whether a human trajectory contains an object takes very little computation. Similarly, since observations are created by humans for humans, we also assume that extracting observations from a cell trajectory is computationally cheap. 
Thus, in order to determine whether the intended translator takes more computation than the human simulator, we only have to compare the time taken by cell trajectory dot contains in human inference. The only ingredient of human underscore inference that requires significant amounts of computation is determining if observations are compatible with trajectories. If the cell patterns that correspond to human objects turn out to be large, then we assume human observations are correspondingly coarsened. Thus, the difficulty of determining if a sequence of observations is compatible with a trajectory scales sublinearly with the number of cells. In contrast, cell trajectory dot contains must match every cell in the pattern, which takes time linear in the number of cells. As such, as the cellular size of human objects gets large, it's possible that human objects have enough cells that cell trajectory dot contains is more computationally intensive than human underscore inference. Details for regularization strategies. In this section we'll provide more detailed discussions in pseudocode of the training strategies discussed in section regularizers. We'll start from the generative modeling and reporter loss introduced in appendix generative modeling. We won't repeat that framework so you should read that appendix first. All of our proposals work by adding a term regularizer question, z, theta underscore reporter, and a loss. Class human. Def pose underscore question before, action, after. Hash returns a question. Hash should be one a human thinks can be answered unambiguously. Def loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. Hash returns a non-negative loss. Hash good answers get a loss of zero. Def reporter question, z, theta underscore reporter. Hash answers the question in the world described by z. Hash hyperparameter controlling regularization strength. Lambda equals 0.1. Def regularizer question, z, theta underscore reporter. Hash a different regularizer for each section. Def reporter underscore loss human, theta, theta underscore reporter. Before, action, after equals dataset dot sample. Question equals human dot pose underscore question before, action, after. Z equals posterior before, action, after, theta sample. Answer equals reporter question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Loss equals human dot loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. Return loss plus lambda regularizer question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Details for penalizing complexity. Def complexity underscore regularizer question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Return squared underscore L2 underscore norm theta underscore reporter. Details for penalizing computation time. Def speed underscore regularizer question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Start underscore time equals current underscore time. Answer equals reporter question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Return current underscore time, start underscore time. Of course this only works if theta underscore reporter controls how much time the reporter actually spends on a given input, and in practice you would just directly infer the computation time based on the architecture in an input rather than measuring it, since this is differentiable. Details for penalizing depending on downstream variables. In appendix generative modeling we wrote distribution.sample to describe the result of sampling from an autoregressive model. For this proposal we will make the dependence on the randomness explicit. Def distribution.sample. Epsilon equals Gaussian.sample. Return distribution.sample underscore using underscore noise epsilon. Def distribution.sample underscore with underscore noise. Epsilon equals Gaussian.sample. Return, epsilon, distribution.sample underscore using underscore noise epsilon. For an autoregressive model we can do this transformation straightforwardly by using each parameter of the Gaussian to sample one of the autoregressive variables. 
The modified method sample underscore with underscore noise also returns to the Gaussian noise used to produce a given sample. Rather than allowing the reporter to depend on Z and penalizing it for depending on downstream parts of Z, we will simply force the predictor to depend directly on the noise variables epsilon and then penalize it for computation time. Recomputing a downstream variable is naturally more expensive because you must compute the intermediates. Def speed underscore regularizer question, epsilon, theta underscore reporter. Start underscore time equals current underscore time. Answer equals reporter question, z, theta underscore reporter. Return current underscore time, start underscore time. Def reporter underscore loss human, theta, theta underscore reporter. Before, action, after equals dataset dot sample. Question equals human dot pose underscore question before, action, after. Z, epsilon equals posterior before, action, after, theta sample underscore with underscore noise. Answer equals reporter question, epsilon, theta underscore reporter. Loss equals human dot loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. Return loss plus lambda regularizer question, epsilon, theta underscore reporter. Details for penalizing consistency with many different predictors. The key idea of this approach is to estimate how many predictors are consistent with a given reporter, by how hard is it to find a predictor that is consistent with this reporter. Hash reflects a larger number if the predictor and reporter are inconsistent. Def consistency human, theta, theta underscore reporter. Before, action, underscore equals dataset dot sample. Z equals prediction before, action, theta sample. After equals observation Z, theta sample. Question equals human dot pose underscore question before, after, action. Answer equals reporter question, Z, theta underscore reporter. Return human dot loss underscore for underscore answer before, action, after, question, answer. Def minimize F, theta underscore zero. Hash uses SGD to minimize F starting from theta underscore zero. Hash returns the minimizing parameters. Hash prefers reporters who are consistent with theta but not with other predictors. Def specificity underscore regularizer question, Z, human, theta underscore predictor, theta underscore reporter. Def L theta. Return consistency human, theta, theta underscore reporter, plus squared underscore L2 underscore norm theta. Theta underscore alternative equals minimize L, theta underscore predictor. Return L theta, L theta underscore alternative, plus squared underscore L2 underscore norm theta underscore reporter. Intuitively, the idea is that we are asking the predictor to pay for any complexity that it uses beyond what was needed to be consistent with the reporter. The reporter pays for all of its own complexity, but we then reduce the amount we need to pay for the predictor. This algorithm performs a new optimization for a predictor at every step. In practice you would do this optimization at the same time that you optimize the real predictor, and would reuse the same model across time steps, so that it is computationally efficient. In this algorithm we define consistency by asking questions about hallucinated videos. But we could use a stronger condition where that ensures that the reporter has reasonable conditional probabilities, as discussed in appendix aside on consistency. In fact that seems necessary to get good behavior out of this regularizer, otherwise the simplest consistent predictor will simply be one that is certain nothing interesting is happening. That predictor can easily be consistent with a reporter, but will fail consistency checks based on conditional probability since it assigns way too low a probability to basically every event. Details for penalizing inconsistencies across different inputs. First we will describe a general algorithm for penalizing inconsistencies across possible worlds. 
In the next section we will describe a particular family of inconsistencies that a human might recognize, and then we will analyze whether it is possible for a bad reporter to cheat and pass these consistency checks without doing direct translation. As in the last section, we start from the generative modeling framework from appendix generative modeling. Class human. Hash still define pose underscore questions and evaluate underscore answer. Def implausibility x, values, dist. Hash given a quantity x expressed in natural language. Hash an exhaustive list of possible values for x. Hash, and a proposed probability distribution over values. Hash returns a penalty term representing the implausibility. Hash of a predictor and direct translator giving that distribution. Def predictor underscore px, values, theta, theta underscore reporter. Hash given a quantity x expressed in natural language. Hash, and an exhaustive list of possible values for x. Hash returns a probability distribution over those values. Counts equals, value 0 for value and values. Def eval underscore xe. Question equals which of, values, is the best description of the value of, x? Return reporter question, z, theta underscore reporter. Do lots of times. Before, action equals foresight underscore dataset dot sample. z equals prediction before, after sample. x equals eval underscore xe. Counts x, plus equals 1. Total equals some counts. Return, counts value. Total for value and values. Def inconsistency underscore regularizer human, theta underscore reporter. Hash we need tests of consistency. Hash you could get an inefficient estimator by sampling randomly. Hash it would be better to do important sampling using adversarial tests. Hash details likely depend on which consistency checks we focus on. X, values equals sample underscore consistency underscore check human, theta underscore reporter. Dist equals predictor underscore px, values, theta, theta underscore reporter. Return human dot implausibility x, values, dist. We would then combine this regularizer with the usual reporter loss using the same pattern as in appendix regularizer details. Example strange correlations. The human simulator uses the predictor's Bayes net to predict observations, then uses the human Bayes net to infer what states would lead to those observations. This can lead to some weird acausal correlations. Suppose that a robber intends to steal the diamond unless the smart vault stops them. For a particular distribution of inputs, the smart vault has a 1% chance of stopping them, and a 1% chance of tampering with the sensors so that it looks as if nothing happened. So there is a 2% chance that the diamond will appear safe. Suppose further that there is some innocuous looking property of actions which actually plays an important role in tampering with the sensors, call it x perhaps x equals repeatedly accessing a particular location in memory can corrupt nearby locations and be the first step towards corrupting the camera. Quantitatively, suppose. The predictor understands this mechanism, and PAI tampering vertical bar x equals 49%. Meanwhile, the human can notice x but they don't understand the significance, pH tampering vertical bar x equals 1%. Then PAI diamond looks safe, x equals 50%, but pH diamond looks safe, x equals 2%. These facts imply to a human that x somehow helps with tampering or with keeping the diamond safe, but the human doesn't understand how. This gives us an opportunity to distinguish the direct reporter and the human simulator. When the human simulator sees that the diamond appears safe, it knows that either there was tampering or the diamond appears safe. These two possibilities are anti-correlated, because if one of them happened we no longer need to posit the other in order to explain our observations. And so overall, tampering, and, diamond is safe, are strongly anti-correlated given x, there is a 25% chance of tampering, a 25% chance of the diamond being safe, 
but only a half a percent chance of both rather than the 6% chance if they were independent. The direct translator says that the two events are independent, with a 49% chance of tampering, a 1% chance of successfully defending the diamond, and a half a percent chance of both. So if we penalize the reporter for producing negative correlations in cases like this, then that gives an advantage for direct translation over human imitation. These negative correlations seem like a distinctive artifact of human inference. We can implement this consistency check in the last section we get the distribution of the tuple of truth values for four properties like, x, tampering, diamond is safe, diamond looks safe. From those 16 values we can infer whether the predictor is assigning a lower or higher probability than the human to diamond looks safe given x, and hence whether we want to penalize a positive or negative correlation between tampering and the diamond being safe. Analysis of cheating strategies for this consistency check. Is cheating possible? For the family of consistency checks described above, a bad reporter can operate roughly as follows. Start out using the human simulator to construct an initial distribution over the variables in the human's Bayes net. Search for a triple of properties, x, y, z, of the variables of the human Bayes net such that, i, x is true of the current input, 2, human imitation is expected to produce a large correlation, or anti-correlation, between y and z given x. Note that in order to figure out whether y and z are expected to be correlated or anti-correlated, we may need to simulate many inputs in order to learn things about how PAI and PH disagree. For example, in the concrete case of tampering and defending the diamond, we need to figure out whether PH diamond appears safe vertical bar X, is higher or lower than PAI diamond appears phi vertical bar X. Update the distribution over the human Bayes net based on the values of, Y, Z in a way that pushes the correlation in the opposite direction from the one expected of the human simulator, while preserving predictions about observations. Do this for enough triples to decrease your loss by more than human imitation increases it. This is a rough sketch, in order to carefully evaluate a proposed method and conclude that it doesn't work, we would want to actually write out the consistency checks in this algorithm precisely and verify that it indeed achieves a low loss. Is cheating fast? To use this cheating strategy, the bad reporter needs to do a lot of reasoning that depends on the human's model, which would all be negligible if the predictor's Bayes net was sufficiently large. That said, it also needs to do one thing that scales with the predictor's Bayes net it needs to figure out in which direction pH is wrong about various observable consequences conditioned on X, so that it knows which direction to fake the correlations. Naively, doing this requires running the predictor on several inputs satisfying X in order to see whether and how it systematically disagrees with the human but this dependence could be avoided if there was an intermediate model between the predictor's Bayes net, which we are assuming is very large, and the human's Bayes net. Errors identified by the intermediate model are likely to be real errors in the human's model. But we can identify those errors with an amount of computation that depends only on the intermediate model, rather than needing to actually run the full predictor. For example, if the human's Bayes net has size n, the intermediate model has size 2n, and the predictor's Bayes net has size a 1012xn, then the cost of using the intermediate model many times can still be small relative to the cost of direct translation. Approaches we are most excited about. In section first attempts, we discussed a number of possible approaches to ELK and why we think those approaches fail. Those examples were chosen to be relatively simple baselines so that we could explain why we are focusing on more complex approaches and exhibit our methodology. In this section we discuss the approaches that currently feel most promising to us. These approaches are generally more complex, less concrete, and don't have clear counterexamples. We'll discuss them more extensively in future publications, but it seems worth giving an overview of our current thinking here. Aside on consistency. 
Many of our approaches rely heavily on consistency constraints. Although we've discussed such constraints briefly, we haven't explained very clearly what these mean. Roughly speaking, we can imagine a human who knows about some conditional probabilities, at least approximately on average over some kinds of inputs. Then the simplest form of consistency is matching those conditional probabilities. For example, if a human believes that objects tend to be stationary, this corresponds to a view about conditional probabilities like p the block is at x, y, z, at time t plus 1, the block is at x, y, z, at time t. You could also imagine a human sanity checking entire outputs of the reporter to try to evaluate holistically whether they make sense. It's very unclear how to set up this kind of consistency constraint in general. We need to accommodate the kind of errors that humans make, without causing the constraints to be trivial. We need to define them over some suitable distribution, and the choice of distribution will add complications for several of the approaches we discuss, especially appendix consistency and compression. It seems like there is a good chance that consistency shouldn't even be about probabilities, and so on. We aren't going to make this proposal more precise because it seems like it's not the bottleneck for any of the approaches we consider. Even if we have a simple distribution-free consistency check for which the honest reporter is exactly consistent, we don't know how to turn that into an algorithm. If the only obstacle was coping with the human errors, or dealing with complications introduced by the distribution used to define consistency, we would currently feel much more optimistic. So we'd plan to return to this question if we were able to find a promising approach for which how do we define consistency, was the bottleneck. Moreover, once we know what we want out of a consistency condition it seems much easier to develop one. Strategy combine regularization and imitative generalization. Some of the regularization strategies we've described seem like they may almost work, in the sense that they force a bad reporter to internally do something similar to direct translation. We're particularly optimistic about section upstream and section speed in combination with section consistency. That is, it looks plausible, though still less than 50%, that we could improve these regularizers enough that a typical bad reporter was a learned optimizer which used knowledge of direct translation, together with other tricks and strategies, in order to quickly answer questions. For example, this is the structure of the counterexample discussed in section upstream. This is a still a problem because for example the other heuristics would often misfire and lead to bad answers, but it is a promising starting point because in some sense it has forced some optimization process to figure out how to do direct translation. If we knew what those other heuristics were in advance, it seems like it should be possible to get around this problem we could search for a direct translator which produced good answers to our questions, and which scored very well on the regularizer when combined with the known heuristics. The regularization would then prevent us from getting the human simulator, since by hypothesis direct translation was an ingredient in the optimal strategy. And when we wanted to actually get good answers, we could strip out the heuristics and simply use the direct translator. This is a plausible approach to combat any fixed counterexample, but in general we won't know what heuristics would perform well on a given regularizer, since it's likely to depend on details about the predictor, the human's model, the data distribution, etc. We could hope to achieve the same goal in general by using imitative generalization we ask in, amplified, human to play the regularized classification game as well as they can, and learn data, like the direct translator, or other heuristics, that they can use to play the game. Then when we want to get good predictions we can ask the same human to use their data to get actually good answers to questions. This seems like it could plausibly work if imitative generalization was at least as good at learning heuristics to play the training game as vanilla SGD. It seems intuitively plausible that if we set up this process extremely well the human would be significantly better, since the human prior ought to help. The flip side is that we need these heuristics to be exposed to the human in a usable format, 
which may be more expensive than directly integrating them into an agent that uses them to play the training game well. This is similar to the general question about competitiveness of imitative generalization. This hope is very closely related to the imitative generalization-based approach discussed in Appendix Learned Optimizers. Strategy use consistency to compress the reporter and the predictor. In section specificity we suggested penalizing reporters if they are consistent with many different reporters, which effectively allows us to use consistency to compress the predictor given the reporter. We ultimately dismiss this technique because the total complexity of the predictor may be much smaller than the reporter. But we could also use consistency to constrain the reporter. We could optimize part of the reporter to answer questions well, and then fill in the rest of the reporter to be consistent. Technically, we'd be optimizing the first part of the reporter to predict well after we filled in the second part to be consistent. This approach is a generalization of the one described in teaching ML to answer questions honestly instead of predicting human answers although we are applying it for a fairly different purpose. The implementation is very similar to the one in appendix specificity. As an unrealistic example, if the predictor reasons about things in terms of quarks, I might say diamond is a certain kind of configuration of quarks. I'm not sure what, but I know it is rare, appears in the Earth's mantle, and it's hard and sparkly. Then instead of directly specifying the diamond classifier as part of my hypothesis, I'm just specifying the family of functions that includes the diamond classifier, and looking for any function in that family which lines up with what I already know about diamond. You might expect this to be simpler than the human simulator, because it doesn't need to specify every fact that a human knows about diamonds, diamonds are uniquely picked out by just a few facts, and the rest follows as a prediction which serves to demonstrate that the reporter we found really is correct. So as long as specifying the function family is easy enough we might hope to get the direct translator. This idea seems like it could be much better than section specificity precisely in cases where the predictor is very simple and so the reporter ought to be compressible. By combining these two techniques, it seems plausible that we could drive the complexity of predictor plus direct translator lower than the complexity of predictor plus human simulator. The chief difficulty of this approach is that we have to be able to simply represent a family of functions, or even a regularizer over functions, that rules out the human simulator, otherwise the inner optimization, which is trying to find a consistent reporter, will produce the human simulator instead of the direct translator. The main advantage is that the specification of this family regularizer can be learned instead of being designed by hand, which in a sense is what the rest of this report is trying to do. That said, it's not actually clear whether such a family exists. So while delegating that problem to machine learning may be a good way to find it if it exists, and is something we should do if we can't otherwise solve ELK, it's not clear that it should give us much reassurance about the solubility of the problem. Strategy examine reasons for consistency. A human has lots of beliefs like if you let go of an object, it will usually fall down. In order to be consistent, the combination of a predictor and reporter needs to reproduce the expected behavior. Intuitively. A successful predictor must have some internal structure corresponding to these expected relationships, and the direct translator is consistent because it directly exposes that structure. The human simulator is consistent in large part because it searches for consistent explanations of observations. These seem like quite different reasons to be consistent, and so if we were able to somehow trace why a reporter plus predictor pair was consistent then we might have more ability to distinguish direct translation from human imitation. Moreover, this could be a very hard standard for a bad reporter to game, because if it comes up with a clever strategy for being consistent then the reason will often be its thoughts about what the training process expects rather than a fact about the predictor. Although this is probably the approach to ELK we are currently most excited about, it's unfortunately pretty vague we can't pretend to have good answers to questions like what are reasons, and what would we do with them? 
but we can try to explain some of our current thinking anyway to give a sense for why we think it is a promising approach. What is a reason for consistency? Intuitively, we think of a reason as a way of verifying that the model is, probably, consistent, or that it satisfies particular properties. The simplest reason is just because, which corresponds to running the entire computation on many inputs and verifying that it is consistent. But it will often be possible to give a much simpler faster explanation for any given property. For example, suppose one property the human expects is if the diamond is in the room in 10 minutes, it's pretty likely to still be there in 11 minutes. This could be explained by running the entire model, but it could also be explained quite quickly if diamond in room at 10 minutes and diamond in room at 11 minutes are both represented by individual neurons with a large enough weight between them. In order to make an explanation like this work, we may need to specify other data like the typical distribution of individual neurons, which themselves may need to be verified. We're not at all sure if this is the right view, though we are optimistic that the answer will shake out as we try to build algorithms that rely on these kinds of reasons. Here are some other possible views to give a sense for the space. A reason amounts to a composition of local relationships that explain a larger relationship. For example, if showing why f and g implement the same function, maybe a reason corresponds to a way of matching up pieces of the computation done by f or g, or relating them to other intermediates, that makes it obvious they are equal, where just because is the degenerate case where nothing is matched up except the entire computation and no other evidence is given. Reasons may fundamentally be about conditional independence rather than other kinds of relationship, and correspond to isomorphisms of structural facts about models that can give rise to conditional independencies. A reason may be about exposing parts of the relationship that hold universally rather than for typical inputs. It seems like very few relevant relationships hold universally, but we might imagine some statistical relationships that hold robustly rather than depending on the input distribution. What would we do with these reasons? Instead of optimizing for consistent reporters, we could optimize for pairs of, reporters, reason for consistency. This then gives us an opportunity to regularize the reporter based on the reason for consistency. A simple hope is to prefer simpler reasons, hoping that this acts like a better version of the regularizers for computation time discussed in section speed and section upstream. Here the hope is that the consistency of the direct translator follows from local properties in a simple way, whereas the consistency of the human simulator requires first using facts about the predictor to explain correlations in the observations and then using those correlations to derive consistency of the human simulator. A second approach is to look at the structure of the reason, and prefer reasons where the consistency is because of facts about the predictor rather than facts about the predictor. This more closely mirrors the intuition expressed at the beginning of this section, but it's not clear how to actually define anything like this. A third approach, that may be more philosophically principled, is to consider the hypothesis H equals the predictor and the human are reasoning about the same underlying reality, and the reporter under consideration is correctly matching up the parts of their models that correspond to the same part of reality as an explanation for why the reporter ends up being consistent. On this view, we want to analyze a reason based on the ratio between the probability of finding that reason given H, and the probability of finding such a reason for a random reporter, if that ratio rises above the prior and probability of H, which we can roughly estimate, then we would conclude H is likely to be true and the reporter is good. The hope for this approach is that the consistency of human imitation is explained away by the internal machinery where it performs inference it is effectively searching over ways of setting the variables in the human's Bayes net until it finds one that satisfies the anticipated relationships, and if you notice that fact then consistency no longer seems like much evidence that the reporter is correct. In addition to those three algorithmic approaches, it seems quite possible to us that thinking about reasons and the hypothesis H may end up suggesting a simpler approach to regularization, 
that may make no reference to reasons at all, and provide a philosophical explanation for why that approach actually works. How we'd approach ELK in practice. If someone gave us a powerful AI with unrealistically little preparation and asked us to cope with the risks described in this report, what would we do? This section describes our current best guesses. Ensembling. We would train a diversity of reporting heads and consider an action problematic if any of them report tampering. We think that this can significantly improve safety for the kinds of reporting heads described in this report. If any of them achieve good performance on distribution but fail out of distribution, it seems most likely to be because they are doing something human simulator-like. So if there is a disagreement, we should listen to the reporter that says something scary, that a human wouldn't have said, even if it's in the minority. This argument would break down as soon as any of the reporting heads are optimized to say scary things, or to be diverse for diversity's sake. Now all we need to do is ensure that one of our reporters notices any given problem. This isn't necessarily that much easier, but it allows us to experiment with a variety of approaches to regularizing models and collecting data, without worrying for example that one of our modifications accidentally favored the human simulator. Regularization. In keeping with the previous point about ensembling, we should train reporters using many different combinations of regularizers. We think it's worth trying at least upstream dependencies, i.e. speed using noise variables rather than latency as input, and specificity plus complexity plus speed, with a tunable parameter for the speed versus complexity trade-off, the specificity versus complexity trade-off must be 1. It's more unclear whether we could actually get imitative generalization working, but if we could we think that imitative generalization plus specificity plus complexity plus speed is particularly promising. It also seems good to try combining all of these with the strongest consistency across input conditions that we can find, and with input data points that are designed to be as computationally demanding as possible for a bad reporter while being easy if you know what really happened. We don't have a great recipe for generating consistency checks or hard data points though, we would just try to do this ad hoc using highly skilled human labelers. Data. In general we want to use a diversity of data sources, for example different people who might make different mistakes, a small amount of extremely careful data, and so on. We should train some of our reporters with more cautious data that tries harder to avoid errors, and some that pushes as hard as we can to make the data harder for a bad reporter. Ideally also leveraging many of the techniques in appendix avoiding errors to reduce error rates. We should push techniques like debate, iterated amplification, and recursive reward modeling as far as we can in order to improve human understanding. Especially when combined with deliberately tricky inputs, this may have a good chance of catching many bad reporters. To the extent possible we would also like some of these reporters to be trained on data held out from the predictor, so that it's not sure what capabilities human evaluators might have. Learned optimizers. We think it's plausible that these approaches will work in practice for ontology identification and other straightforward cases of ELK, but for large enough models that implement learned optimization they would almost certainly break down. Overall we're pessimistic about solving ELK for learned optimizers without additional research, or at least implementation work that isn't fully shovel-ready to apply at scale. But if we were trying our best in this regime it would be even more important to throw the kitchen sink at the problem and use many techniques not discussed in this report. Comparisons to related work. Ontology identification. Ontology identification is the problem of mapping between an AI's model of the world and a human's model, in order to translate human goals, defined in terms of the human's model, into usable goals, defined in terms of the AI's model. In this report we intend to use this term in roughly the same way as prior work. To the extent that the reader believes ELK is an important problem statement we believe that they should give significant epistemic credit to researchers at MIRI who were interested in this problem long before we were. 
One difference is that we are more focused on narrow versions of the problem, only hoping for good answers in cases as straightforward as sensor tampering, whereas past discussions of ontology identification have often highlighted edge cases and the desire for a robust enough translation to evaluate complex actions that push the world into unfamiliar states, see Appendix Narrow Elicitation. We also specialize this problem to training a generative model with gradient descent, rather than considering ontological crises or utility rebinding as the agent learns. This seems likely to be helpful for making the discussion more concrete in the context of modern machine learning, it may lead to some additional approaches, and indeed all of our work takes a different flavor than past work on ontology identification, but in practice we think this is mostly a framing difference. Relatedly, we have a weaker presumption that the internal dynamics of the predictor would actually resemble what we usually think of as a world model. This leads us to think about ELK more broadly rather than ontology identification, and we think the line between ontology identification and other cases of ELK, such as those described in Appendix Learned Optimizers, may not be crisp. Related Problem Statements In addition to ontology identification, the AI safety community has considered many similar problems over the last 10 years. The pointer's problem what functions of what variables, if any, in the environment and or another world model correspond to the latent variables in the agent's world model. From our perspective this is essentially equivalent to ontology identification, though with a framing and focus midway between older discussions of ontology identification and ELK. Like us, John Wentworth expresses the view that outer alignment, as I think about it, is mostly the pointer problem. Generalizable environment goals is the problem of defining reward functions that depend on the environment rather than on observations. We are interested in eliciting latent knowledge in order to define goals, and so we can view ELK, and ontology identification, as possible approaches to generalizable environment goals. Look where I'm pointing, not at my finger is a discussion of essentially the same counterexample discussed in section bad behavior. We believe this is the central difficulty for both ontology identification and ELK. There are differences in focus we are mostly focused on the potential inductive bias caused by the simplicity of the human model, whereas Yudkowsky seems mostly focused on the issues with data quality we discuss in Appendix Imperfect Data and embedding the human overseer as part of the predictor's world model as we discuss in Appendix Weight Sharing. Ultimately this is just a different prediction about what aspects of the problem are most productive to focus on first, and the underlying problem of ELK or ontology identification is the same. Model splintering is the problem of translating reward functions from one model to another. This formulation takes as given a partial translation between the two models which is already sufficient to address the narrow version of the problem we are interested in. Model splintering is in some sense the other half of ontology identification that we are explicitly setting aside. Truthful AI is a proposed family of norms against AI systems deliberately misrepresenting reality. We can view our counterexamples as very simple obstructions to truthful AI and ELK as an attempt to overcome those counterexamples. In addition to highlighting how hard truthfulness might be, we expect that thinking about this kind of concrete obstruction will be a helpful way to make progress on truthfulness. There is a large literature discussing wireheading and sensor tampering. We can view ELK, as well as all of the approaches listed earlier in this section, as possible solutions to sensor tampering. Proposal from Ontological Crises and Artificial Agents Value Systems Ontological Crises and Artificial Agents Value Systems is the first write-up we are aware of the ontology identification problem. It proposes a possible solution based on bisimulation. We believe this proposal is vulnerable to a similar counterexample to the other methods we discuss in section regularizers. This is likely not surprising to the authors, since they are not claiming a solution that works in the worst case. 
Taylor et al. suggest learning a metric over possible worlds where, I, worlds change slowly over time and, two, if two worlds are close then they behave similarly for all inputs. We sympathize with the intuition behind this approach, but haven't been able to turn it into a promising angle of attack on ELK. Yukowski suggests a variety of approaches to encouraging learned models to represent events themselves rather than human judgments about those events. This discussion gestures at some of the ideas in section regularizers but is even more informal and preliminary, in part because Yudkowsky is more focused on issues with data quality. Mechanistic interpretability. ELK is also closely related to interpretability and especially mechanistic interpretability as in Camarata et al. This work tries to examine machine learning models to understand how they are computing their outputs and especially what intermediates they are reasoning about. If we understand how a neural network is thinking, then we can hope to directly read off what it knows about the world rather than try to train the model to tell us this information. In a very simple case, we might discover that a particular neuron represents the model's beliefs about whether there is a diamond in the room, and then simply look at that neuron rather than training the model to answer questions about diamonds. From our perspective, the core questions are how complex will our interpretations need to become, and how do interpretability researchers, or the tools they build, decide which interpretations are correct? If a question can be answered using a single neuron, then it is relatively straightforward to get answers by using either interpretability or fine-tuning we can look through neurons by hand, or we can fine-tune using a simplicity-sparsity constraint or regularizer. Even then there are possible concerns about finding a human thinks there is a diamond neuron, but we might rule these out by looking at their relationships to other neurons. But the hard cases for ELK are precisely those where familiar human concepts are a very complicated function of model internals, and worst of all when the identification itself is more complex than the original predictor. In these cases, it is easy for the reporter to essentially make up the structure that the human evaluators or interpretability researchers are looking for. In these cases we need to think about how evaluators decide between many different interpretations of a given model. That decision is likely to involve consistency checks between interpretations of different parts of the model, as well as structural judgments about which interpretation is less likely to be inventing the concepts we are looking for from scratch, which essentially amount to regularizers to select amongst. If we could fully define those checks and regularizers, then that would represent a plausible solution to ELK, that could be used either as a loss function for fine-tuning or a recipe for automated interpretability. If we can't define them, then we are left wondering whether any given set of ad hoc methods will generalize to more powerful models. Overall, our sense is that interpretability-based and fine-tuning approaches to ELK are extremely closely related. The more important distinction is again methodological in this report we are looking for worst-case solutions that successfully recover knowledge no matter how the predictor works. Interpretability research typically takes a more empirical approach, trying to understand how knowledge is structured in modern machine learning systems and aiming to scale up that understanding as models improve. This was part two of eliciting latent knowledge how to tell if your eyes deceive you, published by Paul Cristiano, Aya Kotra, and Mark Shu. Thanks for listening. To help us out with the nonlinear library or to learn more, please visit nonlinear.org.